This is episode number 81. Pro BMX rider lives with brain tumors. The resilience of Josh Perry. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, spanning the categories of mindset, plant-based nutrition, and inspiring stories to help you be better every day. BMX has conditioned me in my mind to just get up and try again and treat things like an injury. At the end of the day, there's no failures. It's just an opportunity to learn and to progress and do better next time. So I just foster that mindset of just what do I want and let's focus on things I want and kind of accept this is my reality. These are the cards I'm dealt, like, but other people are worse off. Welcome to the first week of December. It's hard to believe that it's winter and here up in BC, we've actually been having a late fall. It hasn't started snowing a ton here yet. It's been beautiful. It's been sunny and I've been inside riding the trainer. <laughs> But it's okay. I broke my foot about a month ago and I was just walking in clogs, had a stupid accident and rolled my ankle and broke my foot. So I had to turn into indoor riding and it's been good actually. It helps me have more structure in my day for some reason because you don't have to spend the time getting your bike ready. And it has the best structure type of training because there's no coasting when you ride the trainer. And also it's more interesting when you're doing structured workouts. I know when I'm mountain biking outside, the last thing I want to do is have like intervals or set periods of time where I have to do certain things. I just want to have fun and enjoy the trail. So I actually think that I'm faster when I ride the trainer just because my training quality is better. I sent out a story about this. I actually broke my foot and got shingles within a couple weeks of each other. And I wrote a blog post on my website, which is sonyalooney.com. But I sent it out in my newsletter. So I'm going to be sending out a bi-weekly newsletter. I've had an email list for a while, but I've been really sporadic with my emails. And I'm trying to send out emails that are meaningful, inspiring, and valuable. And also to remind you of the latest podcast episodes. So last week's newsletter was about just the mindset of whenever things are going wrong or whenever you have setbacks and how to recover from those, how to change the way you tell yourself the story about what's going on. And I actually, it hasn't set me back at all. Like people have said, oh, you must be so bummed or you must be like so disappointed to be missing out on the last of the fall riding. But I actually am really happy. I've been really enjoying myself and I seriously just don't, I feel good about it. So I think it just takes years of practice of choosing to reframe the stories that we tell ourselves into something that is better. So if you want to sign up for the free bi-weekly newsletter, just go to sonyalooney.com. There is a pop-up that shows up so you can enter your email or go to my blog. And on the right-hand side, there is a place to sign up for the email newsletter. Sweet, you guys. Well, today's guest is a really incredible person. And I was super inspired after talking to him and learning more about his story and how he reframes things in his life to make the most out of every situation that he has. So imagine dedicating everything to your dreams and then you actually achieve them. Professional BMX athlete Josh Perry had this life experience. From seeing the X Games on TV to one day competing in them, Josh's path to success was one full of hard work, dedication, and tenacity. But at age 21, that's right, 21 years old, Josh went to the hospital after crashing on his head. You know, that happens, especially when you're riding BMX. But his MRI uncovered the unthinkable, brain tumors. With his whole future and dream life in front of him, Josh was forced to wrestle the emotions and depression and challenges of his diagnosis. And he did so by sticking to riding his bike. And this has been a theme that I've heard over and over from people who have been diagnosed with different things, different challenges, that the bike is that stable thing, that thing that keeps people going. And this is no exception. Josh is the definition of resilience and positivity. After surgically removing his tumors, more came back to take their place. But after doing research, he discovered gamma knife radiation and a radical lifestyle change to take back control of his life. In this incredibly inspiring episode, you'll hear how BMX taught Josh to get back up and keep going, even with brain tumors, how he lives with uncertainty and squashes anxiety, how to use comparison for the better, and his journey to eventually becoming a holistic health coach. 
This is one where you definitely want to listen to the entire thing and share it with your friends because, man, hearing people who have lived through challenging things and then being able to apply what they've done in their lives and put it to ours, which seems so, so simple compared to what other people are going through, it just makes things better for all of us. If you're enjoying the show, I'd really appreciate it if you went to Apple Podcasts and left a review. So all you have to do is search my name, The Sonia Looney Show, on your phone or on iTunes under podcasts. And then it gives you the option if you scroll around to look for ratings and reviews. And there's five stars you could hit. You can write a little something. And I read all of them. And I notice whenever people have left new reviews. So thank you so much to those of you who are doing that. It definitely helps with the searchability of this show. So the more ratings and reviews there are, the more it will be shown to other people. And lastly, before we get into it, big shout out to my supporters on Patreon. Patreon is a crowdfunding website to help support the growth and development of this show. So if you'd like to contribute, even a couple bucks a month goes a long way. It is patreon.com slash the Sonia Looney show. And that is also in the show notes. Something I've started doing on there for future recordings is asking my patrons and telling them in advance who my guests are so that they can personally ask questions. And the first episode where this is going to start, you're going to start hearing this because I record a lot of episodes in advance, is in a couple of weeks. And one of my guests, their name got called out on the show and their question was asked to the guest. So if you want in on that, also make sure you go to patreon.com slash the Sonia Looney show and we'll see you there. All right, so let's get into this awesome story with Josh Perry. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is so awesome. You're actually the first BMX rider I've ever met and the first BMX rider on this show. And I mean, I feel kind of bad saying this, but we kind of forget about BMX as a discipline of cycling on the like endurance side of things. So it's just super cool to like get to connect with you. Yeah, no, I mean, it's an honor to be the first BMX rider. It's an honor to connect with you. And this is actually my first podcast I've been on that's been hosted by another cyclist of some sort. So I'm stoked. That's so cool. How did you get into BMX? So I'm originally from Cape Cod, Massachusetts. And like most kids on the Cape, got into baseball at a young age. And then eventually found myself wandering off to the skate parks with the skateboard or rollerblades and like, a Toys R Us bike. And then I saw X Games on TV and... At the time, too, I was super into motocross and like dirt bikes, and I didn't have one, but I rode my cousins, and I asked for a dirt bike for my birthday, and uh, my parents couldn't afford one, so I got the next best thing, and so I'm pretty grateful for it. <laughs> That's cool. How old were you? So I was about 13 when I got that real BMX bike, but I'd been on a bike and riding, you know, the like the ramps and all that for a couple of years prior, but never really anything serious until that BMX bike came along. Did you have any injuries as a little kid? Besides, like, the normal scrapes and bruises and things like that, not until I was about 15, and then I hyperextended my elbow and broke it at the same time. So oh. that was the first surreal injury. That sounds really painful. So for the people listening who maybe aren't super familiar with what BMX racing is, can you elaborate on that? Yeah, so BMX racing and BMX freestyle are two different things, and I ride the freestyle, so, like, the X Games, like the jumps and the ramps and all that, backflips. BMX racing is on a racetrack. So I've actually only been on a racetrack a handful of times. And actually one of the times we found like the berm that was cemented and then it was doing tricks on it like a quarter pipe. But um, yeah, so freestyle is just dirt jumps, skate parks, vert ramps out in the streets, things like that. But yeah, I never got into racing. My little brother did when he was younger. I was a little jealous because it teaches you a lot of bike control. So like for racing, you have to try and complete laps of the track, the fastest and the most smooth. Is that how that works? Yeah, so I don't know if it's like I'm not too familiar. I don't know much about it, but mm -hmm. I believe it's not about like how smooth you are. It's just about who crosses the finish line first under the rules of not cutting off different parts of the track. So okay, and yeah. then freestyle. Yeah, I can't even imagine doing a backflip on a bike. Like that's so. How do they do? They have judges that judge it kind of like they would in um, like in gymnastics or something. Yeah, exactly. They have a handful of judges. I think now they're um, you know trying to standardize it with the you know the Olympics and the UCI involved for a sport specifically. Twenty twenty will be the first event for freestyle BMX. So they have I think different things you know like tricks, uh, like difficulty of the tricks, you know use of the course, amplitude and creativity and all that good stuff. And then they come up with a score. That's so cool that they're going to have that in um, the Olympics. 
Yeah, no, we're all stoked. It's a big push for BMX freestyle. And BMX racing, I think it's been there two or three times now. So, you know, they're uh, fairly new, but yeah, freestyle, we're, we're stoked. And it's going to you know, hopefully do a lot of good for the sport and expose the positives of it and get more kids ultimately into it. So it allows it to grow. Yeah. Like what is BMX culture like? It's it can be very diverse. I mean, we have, you know, it's same with mountain biking. You know, you have people from all around the world. So everyone, you know, they have their own little things and cultures where they come from. And then the greatest things about bike riding in general, I'd say, and, you know, maybe I'm not trying to speak for you. Maybe you could, you know, say the same thing that it's like, you see another person riding and then you just instantly become you know, good friends and, I've created such great, you know, friendships from around the world just because, you know, you do a similar thing and you're passionate about it and, hey, you want to hang out, you want to ride? Cool. Yeah, that's something that's so special about the cycling community is, yeah, you can go anywhere in the world and you can just plug right in and have instant friends. And there aren't, I mean, I don't know what it's like in other sports, but it just seems like because of the nature of cycling, because it, compared to other sports, it still is kind of grassroots. Like, mm-hmm. it's so awesome to have that connection and just to share the stoke. Yeah, no, 100%. That's like the best thing is just the friendships and the good times you have and the travels. You know, if you're fortunate enough to travel for riding, it's, uh, it's even cooler you get to see other parts of the world and experience it with your best friends. So I love that you saw the X Games on TV and you're like, I want to do that. And then you found yourself going to the X Games. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, tell us how you did that. And like, how did you deal with the pressure of being there? Because you're being judged by a bunch of judges and you have to do all these tricks and there's pressure now. So like, how did you do that? Yeah. So I think it was 2006. I started riding the amateur series that they used to have back then called the free flow tour. It was put on by Mountain Dew and the pro series was called the Dew Action Sports Tour. And then so 2007 was my first year riding professionally. And then over the years, you know, I continued riding on the tour. And then 2009, I won my first pro contest and I beat one of the best in the game. You know, still today, he's one of the best. And, um, you know, he got second place and we were friends. So there's, you know, some grudges held for a minute and things like that. But it was still, you know, an awesome experience. And I think that win really put my name out there. I started developing a name for myself with different videos and things like that, but never really had any good contest standings, like as far as like getting top 10 or top five always like top 24 or above. But then that event, you know, I won and I won the best trick contest that same weekend, landing a trick that hadn't been done yet. So I think that put my name out there and then continued on the do tour that year and then got a, an invite for X Games. And it was cool because I was like, you know, so hyped. It's like a childhood dream, you know, and BMX, we're just like, it's like the Super Bowl or a sport, you know, and it's just an amazing thing. And, you know, I never really thought it'd be a reality. And so when I opened up that email. I was just I was blown away and my goal was just to not get last place. That's all I cared about. I just wanted to do whatever I could to just not end up last. And I think I got like 14th out of 20 that get invited. So, you know, I was pumped, but the pressure, I mean, I was already familiar with contests and competing for about four years at that point. Well, three, I think professionally. So it was just, this, you know, another day, just a little bit more cameras around, you know, that's all. But um, yeah, I don't think there was too much pressure. I just didn't want to get last place. I just was having fun and just living it up, you know? That's so cool. So you just mentioned that in one of the contests, you did a trick that had never been done before. How do you decide what tricks to do? Because if that trick hasn't been done before, there's a bigger risk. So how do you mitigate risk versus reward in these situations? Oh, man, you don't really think about the risk too often, <laughs> or, or at least you try not to, because then that's when you, uh, you know, the mindset comes in and you change things up and you end up getting hurt. But it was interesting because it was a variation of a trick that was my favorite trick at the time. And I'd been messing around the foam pit back at Dave Mira's training facility and just, it worked. And I never did it on the resi ramps, like the padded ramps, and I never did it on a real ramp. But at that contest, which was, I wasn't supposed to be at that contest. It just happened to work out that a friend invited me to go do some demos. And then on the way we stopped there and then I signed up for it. And it was during my second run of the actual contest. I think what they did was one run. And then the second part of it was like a jam format with the three riders at a time. And I did all the things I wanted to. And I just remember it was like out of nowhere. I just was like, all right, let's, let's try it. And I went and tried it and I almost landed it. And then time ran out and then I got signed up for best trick because of it. And then just tried it, I think 10 times. There's a video online of me just getting worked, just trying it because it was a smaller jump. And I kept landing at the bottom of it and just like whiplashing around and like flying off my bike. And then I finally got it. But yeah, I just, I was just hyped and just figured I'd try it. This felt right. So what was it? So it's a 360, and then you do a bar spin, another bar spin, and then tail whip. And um, yeah, I've done it like, I think 
once or no i've done it like two more times after that contest the same year and then i've done it in film recently like the other year and it's just it's interesting because it's just such a risky trick that you don't really like i don't think you ever really get it dialed i don't know maybe just if i did it more (laughs) but i was just stoked to do it a handful of times at contests and kind of moved on that sounds so badass the idea of doing one three sixty period just seems to blow my mind and then you're like i did this and then i like yeah, tail whip at the end, and yeah, that's so awesome. <laughs> it's crazy because the video it like doesn't look like I have time to make it happen, and then it just like somehow comes right around under my feet just before I'm about to land, and rode away from it. Cool. Can you send me a link that way I can put that in the show notes for people so they can watch it? Yeah, I'll try and find. It. I'll see if it's still up there. It's from 2009. That that was the contest I won. So it was like almost 10 years ago. It might be a little pixelated with the quality back then, but yeah, I'll, I'll definitely send it over if I can find it. Cool. So you mentioned that whenever you're doing some of these tricks, you don't think about crashing. You don't think about what would happen if it doesn't go well. And that's actually not very easy to do. Like with mountain biking, a lot of people send me messages and they're like, oh, how are you doing some of these things? Because all I think about is crashing, you know, and, and I do that too. But there are the days where it's like I'm riding down something and I'm thinking, oh, if I crash, this is going to be bad. So do you use visualization? Like, what did you do to strengthen your mind so that you only think about the positive things that come out of that? Yeah, for sure. So it's never gone. <laughs> you still have those thoughts that pop in and the fears and the what ifs. And if you see something else happen or if you had that experience in the past. But what BMX has taught me is, you know, it applies to anything in life that what you mentioned, like the visualization part, like really focusing your thoughts and when I learned about meditation, it was like, I thought I had to just like close my mind off, like just shut it down. But it's really about, you know, analyzing your thoughts and acknowledging them and then deciding which ones you want to hop in and take a ride. in. so with the fear aspect in BMX or any aspect of life, it's like, you know, those thoughts are going to come, Like you can never avoid them. Like you're human, you analyze things and you think about it. But what's helped me is visualizing what I want and focusing on what I want. And then just you know, doing the best I can to just just focus on, you know, the outcome that I'm trying to create and then just go give a shot and be committed. And I tell kids today, I'm like, if you're still thinking about like the what if negatively, don't even try it. Go do something else and come back to it to where you feel confident. And thankfully, now we have like phone pits and things that are more abundant so we can try tricks. And if you do, you know, kind of half-ass that you at least are protected to a degree. So it's cool. But yeah, it's always there. You just got to focus more on what you want rather than what you don't want. Does it hurt whenever you land in the foam pit? If you land on your bike, it hurts a lot. <laughs> or if you land on the side of the foam pit, landing into it 99% of the time, you're going to be okay. Um, I think if you land in like weird folded positions, like then of course, you know, but if you don't land on your bike or if your bike doesn't land on you, if you stay on the bike, like we tell everyone, like, don't let go. Don't let go of your bike, your scooter, like whatever it is, don't let go of it. Because if you do and it hits the phone before you do, it's not going to move like a ramp. It's not going to move out of the way. So you're going to land on it. But yeah, nine times out of 10, it doesn't hurt. The idea of jumping into a foam pit with my bike, I feel so excited right now just thinking about that. Like I got to find one of these centers and just go do it. (laughs) You've never done that before? No, they had it at Sea Otter one year in Monterey and I saw it and I thought, and I was racing there. So I thought, oh, this is probably not a good idea for me to try, (laughs) but that would just be so fun. Yeah, no, of course. I mean, you just do whatever you dreamed about, or at least try it and see how it goes. <laughs> awesome. So you're going along, like you're doing professional shows, like you're doing all these amazing things. And then I heard that when you were actually doing a trick in a foam pit, you had an injury and then you discovered something. Yeah, so it was March of 2010. And I was, um, so you know what a backflip tailwhip is? No. So you do a backflip and then a tail up is when you're hanging out of the handlebars and then you kick the back end of the bike around 360 degrees while the bars are still in front of you and then you land back on it. So I was doing that and I learned that a couple months prior. So I was doing a variation of that. So that's on like a jump, like you're going straight, you land straight. Now I was doing a variation of that where you're spinning 180 degrees on a quarter pipe now. So I did that in the foam pit and I did it 10 times in a row and it felt really good. And then I went, you know, next steps, do it on a real ramp. We didn't have the padded like middle ramp that we do now called a resi jump. We didn't have them back then. So I just went to the real ramp and tried it. But I overcompensated the rotation due to being scared of under rotating. So focusing on what I didn't want to happen. Mm-hmm. And uh, I actually over rotated and got sent to my shoulder and whiplash and hit my head and got knocked out. Oh. And then that led to me being in urgent care, getting an MRI. 
And I should say a year prior to that, I'd been going to the emergency room and urgent care over the course of 2009 for these debilitating headaches and migraines, vision problems, throwing up. And they kept denying me scans that I was asking for. I didn't know really what kind of scan. I was just, you know, my brain hurts. There's something going on and let's look at it. They kept saying no, even though I had health insurance and sending me home with pain pills just saying, you're young, you're healthy, you have headaches. Many people do. It's normal. Here's some pain pills to manage them. So then fast forwarding to March of 2010, you know, I hit my head after an MRI. Now, if I never hit my head, I'd be dead because that MRI accidentally found a massive brain tumor taking up the left side of my brain and pushing down like I think four or five centimeters. Wow. And that really gave clarity to why I was suffering for that year. And my surgeon said, had I gone another month or two without getting it checked out or finding it, I would have never woken up one day. So that was probably the best thing to happen to me with BMX. And I'd say BMX saved my life because if it wasn't for that, who knows if I'd be alive today. Yeah. So how old were you? I had just turned 21. So I'll be actually turning 30 in the 20th. So what's that? Five days from today. All right. Happy birthday. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So you, yeah, you're I just 21. 21. Wow. Yeah. Like, so as a 21 year old, what was that like sitting at the doctor's office and then getting that news delivered to you? It was, I don't know how to explain it. I keep trying to, but there's that part of the brain that perceives information and that verbalizes it. It doesn't work. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I was 21. Yeah, I just turned 21, living the dream, just rode X Games, hanging out with Dave Mirror, like my childhood hero. And now he's a friend and competitor, mentor. And I'm sitting by myself because I just went in to get, you know, a scan on a concussion that I had. Never thought anything else. And the doctor walks in. He's like, hey, Josh, um, got the MRI report. You know, no swelling, no bleeding. So that checks out. But there's something in your brain that shouldn't be there. And I was, what, what do you mean? Like, I didn't put anything in there. Like, what could be, what could possibly be in my brain? And then he goes on and says, you know, it's a brain tumor. We don't know if it's benign or cancerous right now, but we do know if you want a shot at living, you have to have it taken out immediately. You'll probably never ride your bike again, and you'll be lucky to get back to normal daily things without it taking a while. And right then and there, everything just shut down. You know, my heart sunk, and I just was in shock. And I was like, man, like, I'm about to die. I just, like, I'm living the dream. You know, like, work so hard to get here. I'm, I'm just turned 21. I have so much life left. Like, you know, I, I, the victim mentality set in, you know, like, why me? Like, what did I do to deserve this? Am I a bad person? All these thoughts. And then the best way I can explain it is in two different ways. Like I had so many emotions running in and out of me. I just felt broken. I was just stuck, you know, just in shock. And then, you know, people talk about out of body experiences and, you know, like how like surreal life may be in a moment. Like that's how I felt. Like it just, everything became numb, didn't hear anything. And I just was like, man, I'm about to die. Like this is insane. I just remember just feeling like I wasn't there, but I was. And then I just, Got up and ran out. I just couldn't handle it. So, did you have anyone supporting you like through this time? Like, did you have a friend or a family member that really was able to help? Yeah, I, I had a lot of support. You know, once I started telling people and you know, told my family and my friends. You know, my best friend who I was living with, he who was you know super supportive. Um, a girl I was dating at the time. You know, we were together for a while. She helped me through a lot of it, and then you know, just all my friends and family, and then. BMX, you know, everyone in BMX, or and I shouldn't say everyone, but anyone that, whether they knew me or not, they reached out to let me know they were thinking of me, you know, stay strong and positive. And I think that that entire piece of that just, you know, gave me so much more motivation and confidence to get over it on top of my mom had battled colon cancer for a while and she'd been all right and happy and stuff. And then Lance Armstrong's story really stood out to me and helped me a lot and just yeah, I know people have their own opinions of him, but to me, he's a champion on and off the bike. The you know the things that he went through, and I mean, I don't like to say people's situations are better or worse than one another because I don't think that's fair to judge other people's lives. But to me, you know, I'm just going through a brain tumor, and he went through brain, lung, and testicular cancer, and he was able to come back and do his thing and do really well. So I think all those things combined just helped me turn that fear into fuel to get over this obstacle. Like, I looked at it as like an injury. Like, all right, when can I get back on the bike? And just kept thinking about riding and visualizing riding and watching videos and just uh, push through. Yeah. So you mentioned that you had the victim mentality. So was it more than just the support of friends and inspiring people? Or is there something else that you did or turned to to get rid of that victim mentality? So I didn't know it at the time, but I really just took all those things and just kept visualizing. And like, I guess it could be like a type of meditation or visualization, but I didn't really know. It. I just, you know, was taking all these things and I just kept thinking about what I wanted and just, you know, closing my eyes and just 
think about it and then just like try and dream about it and just really just made that choice to I'm not going to let this stop me. And, you know, I call it, you know, survivorship, you know, I, I, or I don't call it that. <laughs> a lot of people call that. But I say that we can, in life, we have two choices. We can look at things, you know, glass half empty or full, like we can look at the victim mentality, go down that path and then, you know, kind of give up or we can take the route of survivorship and then just focus on what we want. And it's a choice that we all have. It's not easy, but um, it's worth it. And so I just kept doing that and then just kept focusing on what I wanted and just trying to and just progress forward with my life. That's all I was thinking about. I was like, I'm not done. Like, I'm so young. I have so much left to live. Okay. So you went in and then they removed the tumor from your brain. And then what was the recovery like? Like, cause the doctor told you you're not going to ride in- anymore. So what was that process like? Yeah. So the doc that diagnosed me said that my surgeon was like, he's like, all right, I haven't seen one this large in a while, but we'll, we'll get it done. And it just super confident. And, um, you know, he's Dr. Alan Freeman at Duke university. And I did a lot of research and found that he was like the top guy in the world. And you know, so he was confident with it after six hours came out. And despite the list of symptoms and risk that I had to sign off of, I, you know, I was alive seeing could hear him move and all that stuff and it was a uh, surprisingly it only takes the skull four weeks to fuse back together so i was back riding in five weeks it took me a good couple of weeks to get back into it you know like learning how to spin and flip and just body awareness in general but then i think it was seven or eight weeks after that i was back in england competing and i got eighth place in the you know, first contest back i competed that so i was just blown away i thought i was going to be out for a year at least that's awesome. Um, so were you worried about like crashing on your head after the surgery? Yeah, I was so scared of that. And I remember in like the recovery process, I bumped my head a few times, like in my bed, like, uh, like I had my bed, like pushed up against one side of the wall. And, um, I remember like just kind of slipping and like bumping it a little bit, like freaking out, like getting in and out of the car, like hit my head one day, like nothing crazy, but just like, just tapped it. And I just was like, Oh, all right. Everything's all right. <laughs> and so riding, I was just, you know, super nervous about it. And that was the biggest piece that took, you know, a good while to get back was confidence, like confidence that I was going to be okay, confidence I could do the tricks I could. And, and it took me a good year and a half or so, I'd, I'd say, you know, to get back to full confidence in my abilities and knowing I was going to be fine. And how did you get that confidence back? I mean, you said it took time, but what was it specifically that gave you the confidence? It's work. <laughs> Just. Yeah kept putting in the time and the work and just, you know, trying to get back to where I wanted to be, where I was, and then, you know, progress to where I wanted to go. Cause I wasn't done progressing. And, you know, thankfully I didn't give up cause I've learned so much since and progressed on and off my bike. But yeah, I just kept putting the work in, you know, there's no, I don't think there's any magic trick or tool. I think you just got to put the work in and have the belief to go with it. And that equation is going to lead to success, you know, one day or another. So I just kept putting the work in. Yeah. And there's another thing I, I want to add to that. And I mean, I certainly have never gone through anything like you have, but a lot of times when people are, are trying to get back into a sport after a prolonged time off an injury, maybe they just like quit for a few years and are coming back. People can get really impatient because they try and expect that they should be where they were when they stopped or whenever they first had, you know, where they were before their injury occurred. And it's hard to accept that sometimes that you're not going to be right where you were. It sounds like you were with your competition. You were already killing it five weeks post-surgery. But a lot of times people assume that they're going to be like the same fitness or the same skill set. And having patience and grace with yourself and just saying that it's okay if it's going to take time for this to come back and just having faith that it will is so important. And I mean, that's something that my husband has to deal with. That's something I have to deal with. And yeah, I think it's just people don't talk about it. And it just looks like, oh, people are just back to where they were. And, and yeah. you know, there was no hardship. And yeah, I mean, it all sounds great, but I'm sure there was a lot of hardship and a lot of challenges along the way to get back to where you were. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, that's like, I have to remind myself of that every day, even today, now that I'm trying to do new things outside of competition. You know, I don't compete as of, you know, last year. I, uh, October 2016 was my last contest. I'm trying to do other things in my life. And it's the same thing. Like it's just the process. And I mean, it's easy to look at someone and say, Oh, look at, you know, how great it is for them. But like, you don't know the story that goes behind it. You don't know how many hours and you know, how many times they fell down and got up. I found that it's just focusing on the desired outcome that you're looking for and then accepting where you are and that we're all perfect where we are now. It's just a matter of our choices moving forward. And we're faced with that every day. We have a choice one way or another. And what's cool is just like, if you're making choices, that's going to help your tomorrow 
then just focus on what you can control in the moment. Like you can't control anything else besides your immediate actions, not yesterday, not tomorrow. And actually you mentioned that in your uh, talks. I thought that was great. Like all you can control is your choice and your actions now. So why worry about anything else? And then also don't compare yourself to yourself in the past or to anyone else and just compare yourself to the moment that you're in and if you're bettering yourself or if you're making your situation worse. Yeah, that's such great advice. I mean, the comparison part is probably the hardest part. Like you can sit down and you can write a list of all the things that you can control in your life. But the comparison, I mean, everything is, is built to compare ourselves to one another. With fitness, like you could go on Strava or whatever. Or you could like compare like, oh, my yeah. ride wasn't as long as somebody else's or look at their power. It's more than me. Or look how much cooler that guy looks when he does a jump compared to me. And also you said comparing yourself to yourself, like to your, your previous self or to what you hope your future self to be. I love that you just said focus on the journey instead of worrying about all those other things. Focus what you can do today. Yeah. And I think with all these different, like like you mentioned, like Strava and like competition in general or, you know, whatever it is, it's like not comparing in a judgmental sense, but like self-awareness is super important. And so it's like if you can use that as a tool to keep yourself accountable for your actions and then measuring the success of your actions as far as like, are you bettering yourself or are you making your, you know, are you going back a step? You know, like it's just about being self-aware to who you are and where you are and where you want to go. But then also like, you know, you're not going to be LeBron, like, you know, like, so it's like, it's not about comparing yourself in a judgmental form. It's like just striving to be better every day. So it, I think those things are important. It's not about comparing. It's about, you know, the competition I think is really important, but it's more so self-competition. You know, you're competing with yourself every day, basically. Like, I feel like that's a hundred percent, like you're not really competing with other people. You're really competing with yourself. And then you're just, you know, if you have a contest, you're just being judged against other people. But yeah, I think it's important just to look at things as a scale of what you're doing and are you making choices that are going to, you know, align with your vision for your life. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. And the comparison thing, I had another guest. Her name is Magda Boulay, and she's this really super badass runner. And she said that her competition and the people she compares herself to, they all make her better. And that really stuck with me. That was like months and months ago we had this conversation. And it's so true. Like without people that are better than you, you're not going to strive to be at your best. You're not going to get pushed to be at your best. And also like if you're following people that make you feel inspired to be better, those are the right people to be following. Not the people where you f you're looking what they're doing. And you're like, oh, I'm not good enough. I'm not fast enough. I'm not strong enough. And we also have a choice on who we want to follow and what we want to consume. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's why I moved to Greenville from Massachusetts when I was younger. Like I was 17 and I actually dropped out of high school and my parents supported me. I quit my job and I, you know, moved to Greenville to train with the best because I wanted to progress. So I, I knew I needed to be where the best were training on the best, you know, ramps and it skyrocketed my riding. Like I progressed more in the first year I was there than I ever had done on my bike. Like it was, it was insane, but it wasn't like, Oh, I'm not worthy because I'm not as good. It was like, I want to do that. And they were helping me. And I think that's like the best thing about BMX or I think action sports in general, from my experience, is just it's so supportive. Like there's that competition at contests. And of course, you know, people have their, you know, their beef with each other, but it's not that often. It's rare. But really, it's like, hey, man, so you're trying this. It's not working out. I did this and it worked. Like you should, you know, give it a try. What do you think? And, you know, but yeah, being around people that are in your mind are better at something that you are just helps you improve there. And then, you know, I found myself being, to a position where I was helping people that I looked up to with certain things that I developed skills and that, you know, they kind of were at, you know, a little slack on and then just help them improve. So it's just this uh, give and take. And yeah, it's really about the perspective. You look at it two ways and you can be crippled or you can progress. That's so cool. So whenever they took out your brain tumor, were you like, okay, I'm done. Were you worried about it coming back? Like what, what was the information you received from that? So I got a bunch of mixed information. Like, you know, of course, like some people went on the rest of their life. Nothing happened. Some people had a bunch of things happen. Some people, because so the tumor I lived with was benign. And but other people had a, you know, situations where they turned cancerous or malignant or they came back multiple times. So I'd always had, you know, the two scenarios in my mind and never really thought much of it. I kind of got to a point where I just like let it go. But at the same time, I've been living like this unhealthy lifestyle, being on my own and having the sense of freedom and, you know, partying with all the dudes and, you know, I'm in a college town, but not going to class, you know, I'm not in school. So I'm just like training during the day and then partying with all them at night and just eating, you know, processed foods and copious amounts of sugar and all this stuff. And so 
yeah, I never really made any healthy changes. And then after the first diagnosis, I started making changes after, you know, learning a little bit about nutrition and then just kept going on, still doing some healthy things, but mostly just still bad. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, it was 2012, September. I was out in India doing some demos and got news from an MRI. I went and got before that trip that two tumors had come back on the same side, one in the front and one in the rear. And then that, you know, really set everything back into, um, you know, perspective again. It wasn't as bad as the first time because I already did it once. You know, I got over it and I could do it again, but it still was like a little bit of victim mentality of like, why me? Like, why did this happen again? Like, yeah. but then that's really what skyrocketed my, you know, audit for my life in terms of my mindset and nutrition and exercise. Wow. Was that three years or four years from? Um, so that was two little, like two and a half. So April, 2010 was the original surgery. And then September, 2012 was when the second diagnosis came on. And you didn't think it was going to come back. You're just like, I can't believe this, this back. Yeah. Yeah. I just, at the beginning, I was like, man, I can't believe this is here. And then later on after I just was like, man, like, Maybe I caused this to come back from the way I was living. And then that's what really, you know, progressed my passion for nutrition and holistic health. So what made you make that connection? Because I think that there's a huge disconnect between lifestyle, nutrition, hustling less with health. So how did you make that connection? After my original surgery, a friend of mine sent me a Netflix documentary and it, the way they presented the information just made so much sense to lifestyle, you know, including nutrition, mindset, fitness, like all these things and the correlation to our health and overall well-being. And so it made a lot of sense to where I finally like started making changes, but it wasn't until that second diagnosis where I actually took it serious and I was like, okay, maybe I should cut out drinking. Maybe I should cut out soda. Maybe I should cut out this, this and that. And then that led me down a rabbit hole on the internet of just you know, you should do this or you should do that. No, this is good. No paleo, no vegan, no this or that. And I just like went insane. And then it was 2013. I read a book called Grain Brain by Dr. David Perlmutter, who's a neurologist and a fellow, or I think he's a board member now, the American College of Nutrition. But it was all about how he uses nutrition first with his patients and the medication in severe cases that are needed. Mm -hmm. But it was all about lowering your blood sugar levels because of how that correlated to damaging your brain to where they're now calling like different forms of dementia, uh, type three diabetes because of that. Mm -hmm. And so that's what really sparked me into learning about, you know, nutrition even deeper and thinking like, all right, so I got to take better care of my brain. And like, I still was doing things that I'm learning were bad. So I was like, all right, there goes that. And then just kept going. And then I enrolled in a online nutrition, a health coaching program mm -hmm. and went through that just because I wanted to learn more for myself, but ultimately how do I share this? And it just gave me more of a direction. And I hated it the first week. They were like, yeah, we're not here to teach you what to think. We're teaching you're here to teach you how to think. And I just really annoyed me because they threw all sorts of things. Yeah, grains are good. No, grains are bad. No, sugar is good. No, it's bad. And all these things. And then, you know, I found some people that were uh, teachers in there and guest speakers. And um, it just kind of all correlated to uh, the same thing. Like if you want to carry brain, get rid of the sugars, the processed foods, you know, raise the healthy fats and you know, get the blood sugar down um, chronically at least. And that's kind of where it kind of progressed in that aspect. Yeah. Like I haven't studied much about brain health, but is the sugar bad because it causes so much inflammation and inflammation in your brain in particular? Yeah. So there's a few mechanisms. So inflammation and oxidative stress, like free radical damage, and then a form of uh, a process called glycation. So it's like when sugar molecules bind to protein um, and fat molecules and like they replace the tissues in our body. And then over time, all that stuff combined builds what's called amyloid plaques in the brain. And then eventually nerve cells and neurons and all that stuff just starts dying. And so that's kind of like the gist of it, I guess, from what I've been understanding. Okay. And is that like processed sugar or does that include like the full spectrum of anything sweet, like a, a maple syrup or a date or anything like that? So this is where I got it really confused and I went crazy for a year and I dropped like 20 pounds because I was scared to eat anything that I had learned turned to sugar. But it, what it really comes down to is chronic high levels of blood sugar. And, you know, thankfully now there's so many glucometers and things you can test glucose levels. But it's really about there is no like healthy or unhealthy sugar. At the end of the day, they're the same. Um, it's just about, about how much you have. So, of course, cutting out the simple sugars like processed sugar, juices, energy drinks, sodas. And then moving on there, you know, there's this debate between honey and agave and maple syrup and all that. And it's like it's, there's so much context needed. But for the majority of people that have 
pre-diabetes that don't even know about it, which is, I think, 81 million people in this country now. It's about chronically lowering your levels of blood sugar. So it could be, you know, you're overeating sweet potatoes and carrots and beets and fruit. And if you test your blood sugar and it's like above 150, you're like, bro, like 120 to 150, you got pre-diabetes. Like, and that manifests over time. So it's not really about healthy or unhealthy form of sugar. It's just about the amounts you're eating and then you know, your activity levels and your timing and your biology. Like it's, there's so much to it, but yeah, at the end of the day, like long story short, it's just about getting your blood sugar levels chronically lowered. So that way things flow better and your body's natural detox mechanisms actually work and you know, creating all this inflammation and stress in the body. Yeah. And something I want to add to that is like people ask me all the time, Oh, like is juicing healthy? And most places you read, it's like, yeah, there might be some vitamins and minerals in the juice itself, but it is really sugary because you've stripped out all the fiber. So if you're going to, if you want to eat lots of fruit, it's better to have the whole version of it because now you're getting all the fiber with it, which slows down that process. Yeah, that's there's so much. Information. Right. <laughs> there's, yeah. there's so much. And that's, yeah, that's a, so there's so much. It depends on the context where the person's coming from. Where I was coming from, I was drinking a two liter Dr. Pepper a day, oh processed gosh. foods. Uh, my breakfast was toaster strudels and, you know, some eggs on white bread toast, like, and then oh. all the different fast foods throughout the day. But I was in shape. You know, I was young. Doctors told me I'm healthy. So just kept doing it. Didn't know. I, I wish I knew the stuff I knew now as far as like testing my levels. Like I wonder what my blood sugar levels was back then. Like it probably was so high. Yeah. And I mean, there's a huge misconception. Like people think that if you're an athlete and you look, you have muscles or you're like winning things that you're healthy and you could be super unhealthy and you could be like the most ripped up, like strong looking person and you could have cancer or you could have heart disease yeah. or you could have diabetes and you just don't even know it. Yeah. And that's like what I've learned and what I, you know, one of my messages I share through my story is health is internal because on you know, a piece of paper or a photo, I was, you know, perfect picture of health, but you know, who knew I had a brain tumor. And so, yeah, it's definitely like health is internal. And there's a thing called, you know, have you seen the documentary fed up? No, I haven't. It's about sugar and they follow these different families. And one of the families is these two brothers about the same age and one's very overweight and one's skinny and they MRI them and they show that the skinny one, um, they eat the same diet. The skinny one actually has more damaging fat called visceral fat around his organs internally. So although his adipose tissue, which is what you see in large, you know, obese people, mm -hmm. he was skinny, you know, he had more damaging or more riskful fat in his body around his organs. So it just, it's not about what's the outside, you know, don't judge a book by its cover. You know, it's like it's health is internal. And the only way to know is by looking and seeing what's going on. Wow. So I want to go back to this uh, second diagnosis. Did you have brain surgery again or did you do something else to get rid of the tumors? So the surgeon said that it was just not worth the risk even more so with how, you know, how small they were. But because the original tumor wrapped itself around an artery, my optic nerve, that that's it was just residual growth because he couldn't risk hitting either of them because I could have become paralyzed, bled out, died, had a stroke and the list goes on. So he suggested radiation and I, my mom went through radiation and I just didn't like that. And I, I was just like, no, I went to Dr. Google and came across a technology called gamma knife radio surgery. And I instantly I was like knife and surgery. He said, don't have them. Let's look into this a little bit more. A lot of people are saying positive things. It ended up being non-invasive outpatient procedure. And they use 180 degrees of radio wave beams with a computer to pinpoint where to treat an area in the brain or a spinal cord. And so went through with that in Boston at Tufts Medical Center. And then they wanted me to take a couple of days off just to make sure I didn't have any symptoms, which I didn't. So I was just riding, I think, six days later. But because of that, they shrunk for about three or four years. And now they've just been stable the whole time. Mm -hmm. So it's a great uh, scenario for me. So do you have to keep getting in and getting them zapped? Or do you? is it just like one, just the one once. done? Wow, that's yeah, awesome. Just, just the once. And then just uh, yearly and bi-yearly MRIs just to check up on, on them. And yeah. so can you use that for all different types of cancer or is that specifically for brain and spinal? I believe it, it's just brain and spinal cord. I don't think they use it anywhere else, but they're, do, they're innovating so much. So I don't even know. They could probably do a bunch of things with it now. That's so yeah, cool. That, that's so cool because, yeah, like brain surgery is pretty invasive. <laughs> so to be able to not do that yeah. and have like almost an outpatient procedure, like that's crazy. And some tumors are inoperable, you know, and I've come yeah. across this community of brain tumor survivors and, you know, it's just, it's amazing what some people are going through and, 
you know, they're not able to have operations on them because they're on their brainstem or in like certain weird locations that would be so like, it'd be too much risk versus reward. And um, it's, yeah, it's super helpful. But then also, had I got an MRI a year and a half before the diagnosis when I asked for one, the tumor may have not, like, we don't know this, so I, I'm not trying to put, you know, blame on the doctors, but like we, it could have been small enough where gamma knife would have been an option, mm-hmm. but we would have never known because we didn't scan. So that's also why I'm such an advocate for medical imaging. And if, you, if you're paying for health insurance and your doctor's not trying to work with you, I've learned that doctors have a big ego. Not all of them. There's tons of great doctors. But in my case, my doctor didn't want to be wrong. And I almost died because of it. My surgeon was, you know, a little annoyed with that. But mm-hmm. so, yeah, I think everyone's their best advocate. You know, no one knows yourself and your body better than you. So, yeah, medical imaging and being your own advocate, finding a doctor to kind of work with you is super important. And how do you live with, like, maybe you don't have anxiety around this, or maybe you did and you got over it, but, like, knowing that you have brain tumors and knowing that they're physically there, like, every single day, how do you process that? Uh, yeah, so it's, it's something I try not to think about. And, As I bring I mean, it up, I, sorry. No, no, I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm making, you know, my mission of life now to share my story. So I, I talk about it every day. But it's interesting, like... I didn't know at the time as things were going on that I was, you know, I don't know how to worry, but I just was like redirecting my focus to what I wanted rather than what I didn't want. And then, so I'm totally comfortable talking about, it, of course, you know, I always do, but I don't know. I, I have moments where I'm just, you know, like, yeah, this is crazy. Like, but that's also why I make the choices I do. So that way I can better my scenario and prevent anything from happening. But at the end of the day too, it's just a, it's a choice. And the first tattoo I ever got across my forearm says fears is a thought and thoughts can be changed. And to me, that's just our thoughts, our emotions come from our thoughts. Like they're just choices. We can choose to give into a thought that's going to be negative and that's going to create a negative emotion. But what are our actions going to be? Are they going to be, you know, we're going to be bummed and sitting around and not doing the things that we love or want to do. And then our reality is going to be, you know, oh, life sucks. So I talk about the choice of survivorship or victim mentality. Like at the end of the day, you know, it's a choice and it's not easy. And I keep working on it. And that's, like I said before, like you just put the work in and just try to do the best you can. And at the end of the day, I think, I don't know when it happened, but I just accepted it. You know, I was like, because the second diagnosis wasn't even the last diagnosis. So, <laughs> but I think also BMX has conditioned me in my mind to just get up and try again and treat things like an injury. At the end of the day, there's no failures. It's just an opportunity to learn and to progress and do better next time. So I just foster that mindset of just, what do I want? And let's focus on things I want and kind of accept this is my reality. These are the cards I'm dealt, like, but other people are worse off, you know, and you know, not to get into it too much, my younger brother passed away three months ago. And so like the fact that not everyone's going to wake up, but I did that you did that anyone listening to this did they won. Like that's a huge perspective, you know, and that's what I try to do every day. And it's not easy, but I start my day with a little bit of gratitude journaling and just try to keep that momentum moving forward and I guess not think of it as a negative, but just I'm able to help people now. And I've been doing that. So it's like, it's a good thing now. I just got to look at it differently. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry to hear about your brother. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. It's, it's part of life. It's been a interesting thing to experience and go through, but yeah, it's just like, I did a post about this the other day, just sharing, trying to share like raw emotion and just like, man, if there's anything positive, which sounds horrible to say that has come from the experience of my younger brother passing away, it's like, perspective like i woke up like he wouldn't want me to be you know pity party and not do the things i've been trying to set up to do so the fact that we all wake up we we live in a country where you're able to go on the internet you won like this potential for your life so it's just a matter about that perspective and you you're awake you're living so try to do better and you know for what you want do you think that you would have had this perspective had you not had a brain tumor and gone through all of these challenges Yes and no. I don't think to the degree that I've taken on with the perspective, but at the same time, BMX has conditioned me in so many different ways. And I think that's like some of the positives about action sports in general that get overlooked. It's like it teaches you about failure and about hard work ethic and goal setting and just visualization and working hard for the life you want, never feeling entitled. Because as soon as you slam to that ground, like you get a real, you know, good reality check of like, hey, like, yeah. You don't just get things like you got to work for things. So I don't know. I think it definitely pushed it to the next level that I don't think ever would have got to had it not been for that. And that's also something I try to share. It's like perspective is everything. And I don't think everyone needs to go through something so catastrophic to like change their perspective. 
but I think I did at the time. And it's shown me a lot of like how poorly I was living my life. Yeah, I'm doing well in BMX. I'm traveling the world, making money. Cool. But I had no discipline for my life. So I had, you know, my health sacrificed because of it. So yeah, I think I needed it. I don't think I would have been where I am mindset wise had it not happened. And again and again. <laughs> so yeah. Oh, that's really powerful. You mentioned that, have you had another diagnosis since? Because I, I thought I heard something that you mentioned earlier. Yeah, a third one just last year, uh, February. So it was 2016 season. I'm, you know, 2015 in November, I went through ACL and meniscus and a bunch of other stuff and get fixed in my knee, whole reconstructive surgery. And I was actually competing five months later and then in Croatia seven months later for the World Cup Championship. And, you know, end of the year in October, 10th overall after missing one of five events. And I was just stoked. And moving into 2017, I was just super confident, was going in for another routine MRI checkup. And yeah, they diagnosed me with two additional tumors on the other side of my brain. And they're, they, a biopsy is the only way to tell. Mm -hmm. They think I have what's called neurofibromatosis. It's basically just a fancy way of saying I have a genetic disorder that creates spinal cord and brain tumors. But thankfully, I just have the four brain tumors, which is another interesting piece of perspective. But um, if I had spinal cord tumors, I think I'd be in too much pain to be able to ride and just go to the gym and all sorts of stuff. So yeah, that was the third diagnosis. But that's also what led me into the ketogenic diet and really adopting that lifestyle and embedding myself into the research around it to where now I'm, you know, reverse engineering my path in BMX and becoming friends with my heroes. Same thing with doctors in this space and mm -hmm. collaborating with them. And I mean, I've started a health coaching business because of it now. And I'm helping people with seizures and things that are seeing so much success from it. But ultimately, the things I was learning about anti-inflammatory effects, the epigenetic effects, which is, you know, in short, the ability to, you know, express your genes differently, and all these things, and like the power it has to reverse tumor and cancer growth or stunt it, even though the tumors I live with are said to be benign, it's still something that, you know, really resonated with me. And so I took it on, you know, 100% and adopted it in the end of 2008. Yeah, the end of 2017, MRI showed no progression with those new two tumors. And the other two were still stable from gamma knife after shrinking. So today I live with four, but they're doing well. <laughs> it's funny to say they're, they're stable, <laughs> not progressing. And then I'll go this uh, December for another year follow-up, which will be two years since that diagnosis. That's crazy that you can sort of reprogram your genetics in some ways with nutrition. Like I've done a lot of reading on the plant-based side of things and seen a lot of success with, I, I haven't really looked into the brain side of things, but just other disease processes. And yeah, it's so cool that food can heal us. And we just, yeah. we just, there's so much we don't even know about it still. Yeah, no, hundred percent. That's what all the best scientists will say. Science isn't fact. We may be wrong in 10 years with new technology, new findings, but right now this is what we know and this is what we're seeing with our patients or in the lab that's working. And yeah, it's really profound, the effect of, I mean, it makes sense at the end of the day, like what you feel yourself with once you learn basic biology of how your body works, like it makes up your body. So it's like if you build a house with a drywall instead of two by fours and four by fours and plywood, it's going to fall apart. It's the same thing with the body. So I mean, that's the documentary, you know, they, they weren't pushing one diet or another. They were just talking about eating real food. And at the end of the yeah. day, someone's going to eat whole food, you know, real food, not juice, not a sandwich, you know, not the thing in a box you put in the microwave, but real food, whatever it is, you're going to be better off because your body's getting what it needs. Totally. I love that. And as a holistic health coach, besides the nutrition side of things, are there other things that you coach people on? Yeah, I mean, mindset's probably more often than the nutrition just because it's like, you know, the misinformation that's out there, the disinformation, the lies from different celebrities or people or, you know, John on Facebook, you know, shared this article and, oh, Harvard published a study, so it must be true. And it's like, it's these mindset pieces that are so important. And it's just, I mean, I went through all of it. Like, I mean, I'm still going through it every day, you know, it's something that challenges the belief that I formed from a piece of information that I thought was true or it was true at the time, you know, every day we're, you know, staying open-minded is the biggest thing. So yeah, it's, it's a lot of mindset as well. You know, like, I mean, anything in life's mindset. So yeah, it's so true. So your tattoo, did you get that before or after the brain tumors? I got that 2016. So yeah, it was a, it was before the third tumor diagnosis. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what do people say on the street whenever they see that on you? 
people usually they're out say, what does that say and then i share it and then i share i always share right away what it means to me and they're like oh man i love that and i actually it was two months ago i was in dc for the biting cancer summit and some friends i met there were out at a restaurant and they were talking about me on instagram they were like because we took a photo or something and someone next to them overheard it and they were like i love josh's tattoo because they heard my full name they're like and dude, my friend told me the next day, and he was like, dude, I couldn't believe like this random guy like knew your tattoo. And he's like, yeah, I'm a big fan of my Instagram. So yeah, I think for the most part, I mean, people are out there like, oh, I hate tattoos, blah, blah, blah. Like, like, so bad, of course, but I haven't come across any negativity. Everyone's been really supportive of it. And yeah, so. That's so cool. Awesome. Um, So you've been doing some public speaking. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I actually just got home yesterday from University of Florida. I was giving a talk to a leadership program about leadership and what I've learned through my journey. And that's been interesting. My dad thinks I'm crazy because I, I never would have fathomed that I'd be speaking in front of people, let alone sharing my life with people and then saying thank you. It's a really, you know, as you know, you know, you've done it too. Like one of the biggest platforms. It's it's a really interesting feeling because you're nervous, but like you're excited, but like you know, or as long as you know your purpose is to help people, then it all kind of goes away. But it's been fun. Yeah, I, the first one I did was in April. So my girlfriend's an athletic trainer at the Durham Academy um, right next to Duke. And they had like this um, come in and share your passion day where all these different speakers were coming in. And so I got my first experience, you know, formal speaking experience besides like interviews and TV and things like that, mm-hmm. uh, really just sharing my story. And then two days later, I went to University of Florida to a business retail graduate class and gave a like legit PowerPoint talk and it, it was pretty interesting. But yeah, since then I've, uh, I've had a handful. One of the ones I was really stoked on was Dr. Eric Westman at a Duke. He's a keto specialist and his summit on keto. He invited me to attend and talk and I was, I was pumped on that. So it's definitely something I never thought I would do. I've been thinking about it for a couple of years and been having the opportunity now and putting, you know, the work in, trying to get out there more and, and share and, it's been fun. It's been interesting. I enjoy it. And to get the reaction from people after sharing and how they can relate, how it helped them. It's an amazing feeling. I don't know, like helping people is a big passion of mine. It doesn't, there's no feeling that beats that, like no contest win, no amount of money, like nothing like being someone saying thank you for you being you and sharing. Like it's like the best feeling. Yeah. In my opinion, that's the best purpose anybody could possibly have. Yeah. Yeah, You're changing, you're changing lives. It's so cool. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I said it in my talk. I was like, I never set out to become a leader, nor did I ever fathom inspiring other people. I just wanted to ride my bike. And now I've used that after 15 years to help people as fulfilling my purpose. So it's it's amazing. I'm super grateful to be alive, to be able to do it and to be doing what I'm doing and um, helping people. is Yeah, it's awesome. Cool. So speaking of helping people, where can people find you? All my social media is at Josh Perry BMX across the board, um, all of them. <laughs> and then uh, my website's joshperrybmx.com. Uh, joshperry.com is a URL troll trying to sell it to me for two grand right now. So, so trying annoying. to work that out. <laughs> yeah. And then on Instagram, Josh Perry is like, hasn't been active since like 2012. It's some kid that won't respond. So uh, maybe I'll get a hold of Instagram one day and be able to take that name over. But yeah, Josh Perry BMX everywhere. And I'm the most responsive on Instagram, but I do the best I can to respond to every single comment DM. A little little story when I was 16 on MySpace, I messaged my favorite bike rider back then and he responded. He was like, hey, you ever come up to Texas? Let's ride. And so I've always made a point to just not like do the best I can to not let anything go by and just try to respond. Even if it's just a quick thank you or hey, what's up? Like, yeah. Yeah, me too. So awesome. Yeah, I, I have the same thing on Instagram. Like I have to do Sonia underscore Looney because someone that doesn't even use it, like they posted five times, like many, many, many yeah. years ago. <laughs> yeah. And I've sent the messages. It's like, that should be, re- they should have their account retired. Like if they don't use it. Yeah. Inactivity after so long, it should be gone. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. And it's been really cool to get to connect with you. And even though I, I've heard your story and you've been on other podcasts and people should definitely go on Apple Podcasts and search in addition to this one to hear some of your other interviews. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Josh. Yeah, thank you, Sonia. It's been an honor and I appreciate it. And to connect with another bike rider and do a podcast with another bike rider, it's awesome. And I know my uh, my friends, I told you the other day, my friend's parents and uh, they're all stoked that I'm able to chat with you. And so maybe someday you'll come out to Raleigh and be able to ride with all of us. I would love that. That'd be so fun. Okay, yeah, that'd be awesome.
Who wants to go jump your bike into a foam pit with me? That sounds awesome. But also Josh's story just has really left an imprint on me and is something that I think about almost every day. And seriously, imagine being 21 years old when hearing this. Like I think about who I was when I was 21 and I definitely wasn't nearly as mature or grounded as Josh was and is. If you like this episode, don't forget to take a screenshot and share the show with your friends. That way they can hear the awesome guests and their story to have a little bit more inspiration in their lives. Hope you guys are having a great holiday season so far. And if you want to surround yourself with people who are choosing to do healthy things, to make healthy meals, even some unique Christmas gifts, join the Plant Power Tribe Facebook group. Everyone's welcome. It's just about healthy habits with a theme, with a focus on eating plant-based nutrition. So you don't have to be a vegan. You don't have to be a vegetarian. You just have to be interested in being a little bit better every day. Awesome. So we'll see you there, guys. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Thank you so much for joining me. And we will see you right back here next week. Bye.